Father, we want to thank you for that historical fact that Jesus is risen. He's alive. And it was the love that drove him to that. That love that's extended to each and every one of us. And Father, I just pray that no matter where each individual is this morning that's here, that you would affirm and confirm in, in their heart and their life that you have extended that love to each and every one of us, no matter what our circumstance. Lord, we're looking at a, at a world that's really messed up. We're looking at a country that is incredibly divided. And we know that there are challenges that we just can't anticipate. We don't understand what's going on. But I know, God, that you are sovereign, God. You are in control. You are king of the universe. You know what's going on. And I pray, Lord Jesus, this morning that you would build faith and hope where there's, there's that helplessness or that feeling of things are spinning out of control. But God, we know that they're not out of control, that you know exactly what's happening. So I pray that you'll build our faith and hope in you this morning, that our focus would not be on all the things around us, but our focus would be on you, Jesus. That Jesus, you are here in this house. And that as we've come into your presence, the king that has risen, that has lifted high forever, that we would have confidence and we would have peace in the middle of all of this. I pray now that you'll take the living word of God and apply it to our lives so we would be changed today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Three weeks from today, a gentleman named Terry Law is going to be here in both of our Sunday morning services. Terry Law has been an evangelist and a, a minister all over the world for probably 40 years plus. And most recently, the last probably five to 10 years, he spent most of his time in either Iraq, Iran, or Afghanistan, those parts of the troubled parts of the Middle East. He has been responsible for helping helping Christians and Christian pastors be released from prison. He has written a book on ISIS. Do you want to know the real truth about ISIS and what happens? He knows exactly what's going on with ISIS, and he understands what the church is going through overseas in those parts of the country. And you're not going to hear this stuff on the news because it's good news. Some of it's great news about what God's doing in, in growing his church. The church in Iran is one of the fastest growing churches, the Christian church, in the world. And it happened because of something we call persecution. But it's exciting to see God's hand. And Terry's going to be coming three weeks. It's the first Sunday in November. You do not want to miss it. Invite people. He just wrote a book on, on ISIS. And so you want to know all of the stuff that's going on in that part of the country and what God's doing in spite of the things that we hear on the news. Be here that first Sunday in November. You will be blown away. The Bible contains many stories of supernatural events. These are events that cannot be explained by our logic or, or reason of human mind. These events are beyond natural. They're supernatural or supranatural. People today in America are, are fascinated by the supernatural. The, the supernatural permeates our culture in books and movies and 
video games and television programs. You can think of the Lord of the Rings where the possessor of this ring is endowed with supernatural powers. There's Harry Potter, the books and movies that deal with powers beyond the physical, the metaphysical, the unseen, the, uh, the supernatural. We have Disney animated films that all require a belief in the supernatural, unseen forces that engage in the real, invisible world. Then there are big, epic movies like Avatar, which require entering a fantasy world, a world that we don't understand, a parallel universe or supernatural powers that engage in our real, visible world, doing things we can't do. With a world obsessed with the supernatural, it's no wonder that our culture is also fascinated with Bible stories, biblical stories. The Bible records many accounts of the supernatural. In the New Testament, we read of supernatural acts by, by Jesus. Signs, wonders, healings, even raising of the dead. But Jesus is not on earth anymore. Or is he? Didn't he die? Yes, he did. But was he resurrected? Yes, so what? Then he went back to heaven. And the Bible teaches us, as we studied the last two messages, that Jesus, after he was sent to heaven, sent his spirit to indwell and empower his followers. And when Jesus sent his spirit to live in his followers, they didn't need a, a magic ring or a wand. They didn't need special words with hidden meanings. The supernatural works that Jesus did while he was on earth continued through his followers as they were indwelt by the Spirit, his Spirit, called the Holy Spirit. Today we're going to look at the first dramatic supernatural event recorded in Acts following the day of Pentecost. The main characters in this account are Peter and John, two ordinary guys, and a lame man. Peter and John and the lame man. And I want to look, we're going to look at a sermon. Look before you leap. I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to Acts, the third chapter, Acts 3. And you can find it on page 884 if you want to read it, read it in the uh, Bible in the rack in front of you or follow along on the screen. Acts 3, 1 through 10, we're going to read, and then verse 16. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time, at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man was crippled from birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. But what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Explaining this in verse 16, Peter says, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. It was three in the afternoon. 
and Peter and John, being good devout Jews, were observing the Jewish times of worship. They were on their way to the temple to pray when they came on something that actually was, was very common in that day back then and quite common in, in American cities as well. A handicapped beggar, someone who is crippled from birth. Most often we may see people who are physically handicapped or they have needs or they don't have money will appear most often in bigger cities and they'll be at intersections of, of major major uh, places where highway meets or the exit ramps, and, and we see them today. This man sat at the entrance to the temple. There was no better place to beg. For religious people, giving of alms to the poor and needy was part of earning their merit before God. That's how you earn brownie points to get into heaven. They say, we're going to give money to the needy. And besides, who could pass by and ignore him and then go in and pray with a clear conscience? This story is about a man in need, about a look of faith, and God's power that transforms a life. Let's start with need and discover four principles of life-changing faith. We're going to look at, there are a lot more in here, but we're going to look at four principles of life-changing faith. First principle is, number one, we all have needs. We all have needs. This man had a congenital difficulty centered in his feet. In the original language of Greek, the word used is koles, which means lame with paralysis in the base or heels of his feet in the socket of the ankle. Those of you in the medical profession can probably describe this in detail. His bones were out of place and they had been since birth. He was unable to walk and they had no surgical techniques or therapy to correct it. They didn't have wheelchairs. They didn't have the kinds of disability legislation that would give people access like we have today. No mechanical means to make up for the loss of the function of limbs. We, we have a very good friend who, who works and designs and produces prosthetics of all kinds for military personnel who've lost limbs in the war. And they do some incredible things in helping restore the movement of lost limbs. Limitations are overcome many times that way. But in this day, as we look at this, this passage, prosthetics didn't exist. And because of that, this man was totally and utterly helpless. He was at the mercy of others to carry him to and from the place where he even begged. This man knew nothing else and had experienced nothing else for over 40 years. All he had known from his first days of life until now was poverty, rags, and helplessness, dependence on others for his entire existence. So try to grasp his circumstance. It's vital to understand the desperate situation to understand the nature of this miracle. We have many people around us, perhaps some of you here today who can identify with this man. It may be a physical need, or it may be a need that you've experienced most of your life. Maybe it's a paralysis of a different kind, a fear or or depression, maybe it's abuse or unforgiveness and resentment. Maybe paralyzed by your past. Maybe having been deeply wounded by marital unfaithfulness or divorce. Or paralyzed by the, the present, unable to cope with a present difficult relationship or situation. A son or daughter you can't handle. An aging parent that's too much for your strength or resources. It might be a deep spiritual need, just an inner longing for a meaning in life, not sure what that is. Some are paralyzed just by the future, and, and looking around us, we see so many things that seem out of control, and we're afraid we're paralyzed by the future. 
And in your need, you are searching, helpless and powerless. This handicapped man represents for us the person each and every one of us is at certain times in our lives. Needs that we have, feeling helpless and powerless, and never having known anything different. The need has been part of our life for so long that we have reluctantly accepted our fate and decided we just need to cope. Nothing can change, nothing will change. And we're powerless, and most of us don't know the solution. And what we think may be the solution is not the solution. Powerless. The second principle of faith is we all look to something or someone to fill that need. We all look to something or someone to fill that need. What did this man think was his solution? What was the man there to receive? What was his hope? What was his goal? The expectation. Why was he at this temple gate in the first place? He was there to get money. To get money. All this man knew was that in order to survive, he needed cash. Cash. So he went every day, day in and day out, to get cash, to get alms from people coming into the temple. There's nothing wrong with getting a little cash. People work for cash, they steal cash, they sell things for cash, even gamble in an attempt to increase their cash. But cash, money, solved some problems, but money did not solve the man's real problem. His real problem was his paralysis. This man's solution was not the solution. And as we sit in our various paralyzed states, we think we know the solution. And our, our answers may be more money or shop to get rid of depression, escape the pain by parting with friends, more counseling or comfort foods or alcohol or drugs or internet pornography. What is your greatest need? And what is your solution to that need? What do you do to stop the pain? What do you do? Our solutions are not always the solution. Number three, in our need, God does four things. In our need, God does four things. First, he gets our attention. He gets our attention. Peter and John came by and he said, look at us. This is what God does for us, is he gets our attention. Has God ever gotten your attention? How does he get your attention? My wife Judy has a as a brother, his name is Carl. He's now no longer with us anymore. He's in heaven. But he set out one day to go to work, and he went out to stay. He was riding his motorcycle. It was a, he had a really nice motorcycle, and he was going to work one day, and went out to start it up. Nice day, great day for a motorcycle ride, and battery was dead. He didn't have time to, work, to wait, so he said, okay. So instead of his motorcycle, he jumped in his big pickup truck, four-wheel drive, you know, one of those big monster trucks he had. And he got to a stoplight, was stopped at the stoplight, and a guy who had been drinking all night ran into his back end going about 50 miles an hour, just kaboom. That got his attention because he was supposed to be on his motorcycle. Instead, he was in this monster truck. Just tweaked his neck. Sometimes God brings things into our life to get our attention, to get our attention. Somebody once told me this guy ran a stop sign and just barely missed me. Someone must be looking out for me. There are things in our life that just 
don't seem to make sense and they get our attention. Or maybe you were in an accident that you should have been serious or even fatal and you walked away. How does God get your attention? How does he get your attention? Usually he gets our attention by circumstances that are bigger than we can handle. And we say, wow, this is out of my hands. I can't, I can't face this. We don't need a natural solution. We need supernatural help. I need God's help. We say, I need God. This man, Peter, got this man's attention. Then he did something called redirecting his focus. God does it to us. He redirects our focus. This man's focus was on the ordinary. It was on money, silver, and gold. Peter says, I don't have any of that. Okay? He said, I don't have any of that. I can't fill that expectation. Then he redirected his focus and said, but what I have, I'm going to give to you. Very dramatic. The man never expected the impossible. Walk? He hadn't walked in over 40 years. But Peter redirected his focus from the natural to the supernatural, the possible to the impossible, from money to healing. And sometimes we have to have our focus redirected because our solution is not the solution. God has a better plan. What are you focusing on that is the solution to your challenge? Redirect, there's a different paradigm, a paradigm shift. We say, show me the money, and God says, I got something better. Then Peter did another thing. It's what God does. He raises our expectancy, raises our expectancy. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Wow, that, that raises your expectancy from money to healing. I mean, this is a whole different paradigm. He raises his expectancy. And that birthed something called faith. Faith. The simplest definition of faith is look. Took his eyes off of money and on Jesus. Look. Look. I'm helpless. I can't do it. I have a great need. I'm not trying it myself anymore. I look to someone else. The question is what or who do I look for for the solution? And this man looked to Peter and John, but he was redirected to Jesus. See, we're not the solution. Jesus is the solution. Raising expectancy. Expectancy is the essence of faith. Expectancy is the essence of faith. Expecting God. And faith has to have an object, a focus. And this fo focus and object is Jesus. The supernatural things that Jesus did were passed on to his, his followers. His spirit, his power, and his authority. And in the name of Jesus represented in Jesus' authority. It represented authority. We believe that as Christians, God is the ultimate power of the universe. He's boss. He's in charge. He created the universe. He can intervene and do whatever he wants to with his creation. If you write a computer program, you're in the high-tech industry, you can change, modify, do anything you want to with that computer program because you created it. You can do whatever you want with you created it. Well, you know, God created the universe. He can do whatever he wants with it. He can create, he can change, he can modify, he can intervene, whatever he wants to, because he is boss. When we talk about Jesus in Jesus' name and the authority of Jesus, it's because Jesus has authority. And he passed that authority on to his followers, to you and to me. Me? No, I, don't give me that stuff. 
No, he did. He passed it on to you. When we say in the name of Jesus, it's not invoking some magic formula or mantra or spell. We are acting with the authority and power of Jesus, carrying out his plan and his purpose. So when we, when we pray for somebody or declare healing, in the name of Jesus, it's the authority that has been given us by Jesus and his name. Jesus is the boss. He's the Lord of the universe. He has the power and authority to do supernatural thing, things. And in this case, Jesus healed this man. The look was a look of faith. Not faith in faith, but faith in Jesus. The look of faith must have an object. That's Jesus. Just like you came and you sat down in the pews, your faith was that it would hold you up and the people in your row. Your faith had an object, and that object was the pew. Our object of faith is Jesus. Jesus. And he had to have this look of faith before he could be healed and he could leap. Verse 16 says, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. Where is your look directed? What is your faith focused on? God the Holy Spirit is here today to get our attention, to redirect our focus, raise our expectancy, and focus on God. And in our need, God, letter D, calls us to act on our faith. Calls us to act on our faith. This lame man had friends or family that helped him every day. They carried him to the temple, and I assume they carried him home at the end of the day. But they had grown to accept this man's handicap as normal, inevitable, insurmountable. They needed to accept what was. Many of us are willing to help people this way. We're, we're going to help them learn how to deal with their individual paralysis. Just accept the fact your marriage is over. You have cancer, the end is inevitable. Or your kids are never going to come to faith, accept it. Learn to cope with depression, you'll have to live with it the rest of your life. Face it, you'll never get out of debt. You will forever be underemployed or unemployed. And we go on and on and on. And we try to help people cope. And we do need to help people cope. But Peter and John helped this man see the possibility of the supernatural healing. He raised his expectancy. They acted in faith. They reached out, touched the man, grasped his right hand to help him stand up. Then they called on him to act on his faith. They said, grabbed his hand and said, stand up. I, I don't know if you can imagine being that man after 40 years of not being able to do anything. This guy comes in and says, in the name of Jesus, I want you to stand up. There was a response the man took. There was an action he took to stand up. There was, a, there, was a, there was a movement of will that he intersected with faith in God, and he stood up and was healed. It wasn't a passive act. It was an active act. And as Peter was lifting him up, he acted, and he was healed. In every miracle, there's a point of action. Do we help people just cope? Or do we help people be healed? Do we help people cope or do we help people overcome? Peter exercised his faith. This man responded and took action in faith. And in verses 7 to 8, we read what happened. Said, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went 
with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. He didn't waste any time. Wow. He'd been down 40 years. He wasn't going to waste any more time. Those of you who are here this morning who are believers, God wants to use you to bring healing to people around you. I'm talking about physical healing for those who are sick, whether it's praying for them, going to the hospital, laying hands and praying for them, praying from here, praying for them, emotional healing if they're distressed, personal healing, intrapersonal healing in relationships. Relationship and relational conflict and relational pain is the most severe pain that we experience practically. And God wants to use you to bring healing. Spiritual healing for those who need to know God. The Holy Spirit of God is in you if you are a believer. And he's called us to mission. It's more than words, it's action. God wants to bring healing. Some people say, well, you know, I'm not... I'm not a pastor, I'm not an elder, I'm not, you know, I'm not any great shakes. Let me tell you something. When we, were, when we were in Lakewood, there was a church we pastored in Lakewood, which is Tacoma area of Washington State. There was a young couple, Charles and Jennifer, who were pregnant with their second child. And she had a, Jennifer had had an appointment earlier that week, and they discovered that the baby was breech. And it was in a severe breech position, and the doctor said, wow, because she was due the next days, said, this is going to be complicated. We're going to have to do a cesarean section. This is going to be really crazy to get this done. But we, we did prayer, not every Sunday, but a lot of times during worship time, we'd open the altars and just have people pray and, and pray for one another. And Jennifer came forward for prayer. And, and Jane, one of our elders' wives, put her hands on Jennifer's stomach and, and prayed. As she was praying, we were worshiping. I didn't know this was going on. She was praying. The baby convulsed. Something happened, and there was a great movement. Both of them felt it, and they said, what just happened? They don't know what happened. But Monday morning, when she went into the doctor, she found out what had happened. The baby had turned, was now head down, in perfect position for birth. Tuesday morning, she had a healthy baby girl. Now, that just happened? No. She came forward with exercising faith. They prayed, we prayed, and she was healed. Another couple had one baby, and the first delivery was so complicated, they said that the woman, her name was Kitty, would never have another baby. So Ron and Kitty were praying. And, and one Sunday they came forward for prayer, and I don't remember who it was that prayed for him. It wasn't me, it was somebody else prayed for healing for her and that she would be able to conceive again and have a baby. The doctor said, it's impossible. It won't happen. A few weeks later, discovered she was pregnant. Nine months later, they had a healthy baby boy. Now, these two instances are people having to do with babies. Okay, You can name any instance you want to. But they took the step of faith and they said, I want prayer and I'm going to pray and I'm going to believe that God will heal. It was supernatural intervention. Can we prove all miracles? No. 
But all we can say is that this was an impossible situation. I was crippled, I was diseased, I was sick, my baby was breached, I couldn't have kids or whatever. Somebody laid their hands on me and we prayed and God answered. The look of faith, I don't have the solution, Jesus does. God does miracles. The fourth principle of faith, God's power is released through faith. God's power is released through faith. Verse 16, it says, it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. This power, primary faith, saving faith, all of the faith, comes through Jesus. And the power of faith is exercised through Jesus. 2 Peter 1.4 says, we are partakers of the divine nature, as we have God living inside us if we have received Jesus. Colossians 1.27 talks about Christ in you, the hope of glory. Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit of God inside of us. 1 Corinthians talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And this is the character of Jesus transplanted in you and me. The power that was resident in Jesus is the power that is resident in us. The purpose of that power isn't to sit around and celebrate what we have, which we do, but it's to be used to reach out and heal those who are paralyzed around us. Now, if you're here today with a need, the power of Jesus can take care of that. What's the most fundamental healing? Most fundamental healing is talked about in, in John 3 when Jesus encountered a man named Nicodemus and Nicodemus asked Jesus some penetrating questions and he said, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. And he, when he clarified, Jesus drew a parallel between physical birth, which is the beginning of physical life, and spiritual birth, which is also the beginning of life, new life. And he told Nicodemus he had to be born spiritually. He said, God loves you so much, he sent Jesus to live for you, to die for you, so you could enter a relationship with God. And you have to just believe that and accept that. And by faith, you can enter into that new relationship. That's the first step, being born again. And if you've never been born again, it's a, it's a matter of turning to God from ourselves. Ask God for forgiveness, ignoring him and changing your life. To give him control, asking Jesus to come into our lives and take charge. Once that happens, any and every one of us has available to us the power of the Spirit of the living God. Now, we saw an incredible hurricane hit the East Coast this, this week. About 1.2 million, last I saw, 1.2 million people were out of power, and it was, it was just, it, they were powerless for literally hours and probably days. It's going to be a long time. One of the things that we have is we've got power plants and we have homes, Okay. The power plants produce the power, but if, the, if the, the lines are down, there's no connection from the power to the home. And what we must understand is that, that God has all this power available to us. We have all the need for power, but there has to be a connection between. The wires can't be down. The wires have to connect to the home for the power to be any good. 
So you've got the power, you've got the home, and you've got the wires. Faith is the wire. Faith is the wire. Faith is what connects us to God's power. Otherwise, there's no connection, no impact. Faith connects us to it and is the conduit to the pathway of the power of God and the Holy Spirit. I would encourage you to look at challenges that people have around you that you have in your life and say, God, what is it that is your solution? And ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit and say, God, I'm scared, okay? I don't know what you're going to do. That's okay. I don't know all of this stuff. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, people get spooked. They go, oh, that's that, you know, that's that weird stuff. No, the Holy Spirit of God is available and accessible to us, and he wants to fill us. It's all by faith. And when he uses us, then we also become a conduit for that power to be released in the lives of other people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who gives us your power. You haven't left, left us without, without power to do what you've called us to do and be what you've called us to be. And I pray, Lord Jesus, today that you would work in our lives, that you would transform us, that, Father, we would see in an amazing way what you can do when we submit ourselves to you. And we thank you. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And I'm going to invite you to, I'm going to ask if Vernon and Nancy would come and stand over here. If, if Chris would come over here and maybe Bailey join him as well. If you have a prayer, something you want to pray for, we're just going to invite you to come up and be prayed for. God is a God who answers prayer. And if you have a prayer need this morning, these are people that will pray in Jesus' name for whatever that need is. It's the same power that we had in the New Testament, and we have it today. So as we sing, you come. Let's stand, shall we? God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed. <laughs>